0: got some voters here? Of course we do, holy shit! (laughs) We are back at the improv. And what a month it's been. Here's the thing guys, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know if we were gonna hit the numbers we needed to hit. All right, it was hard. It took a lot of work. There were false starts. There were mistakes. There were successes. There was activism and enthusiasm. There was energy. There was fatigue. There was a sense that maybe we couldn't do it. There was a sense that maybe the odds against us were too high. But then I hit my goal. weight. shut up, don't applaud that. Could've gone the other way. Democracy is not a spectator sport, all right? It's a daily grind. You gotta get sous vide egg bites from Starbucks. (laughs) They're disgusting. (laughs) They're two little discs of eggs because somewhere, some number cruncher figured out that if they move the numbers around, they'd get me to pay $4 for half a fucking egg. Well, we did what it took. Did we eat barbecue for a week in Austin? Sure we did. Sure we did, all right? Were there disappointments? Absolutely. Are we back up to 157 point something? But we can't give up. There's a recount in Florida. Stacey Abrams is still fighting. Cinema just took the lead in Arizona. We're crawling our way through these California ballots, which have a very relaxed California vibe. Ruta is up. Katie Hill is up. Mike Levin is up. Josh Harder is maybe. And so all I will say to you is, the fight continues, all right? Because 155 may have been our goal for November 6th, 2018, but there are other numbers we can reach for. 150,
1: 148,
0: that's gonna probably be it. (laughs) We are back at the improv, thanks to Guy Branham and Aaron Ryan, who who did a great job guest hosting for the past four weeks. Uh, This is our election special, and then we're going to take a break, but we're going to be back with a run of shows uh, between Thanksgiving and Christmas to finish out the year. Okay, so obviously a lot of news happened this week. Uh, Jeff Sessions was fired, and it's like, what a world that Jeff Sessions being fired Is bad news. Do you know how shitty the fucking world is? That we're like, oh no, Jeff Sessions is no longer attorney general. (laughs) Fuck, that sucks so much. (laughs) Jeff Sessions, a fringe senator, some of the most far-right views, he is one of maybe three or four human beings responsible for the fact that we have not done criminal justice reform. He was... Elevated to be Attorney General. He is anti-trans. He has led the fight against immigrants. He is a despicable person. And there are people in Manhattan protesting because he was fired. (laughs) If you would have told everyone here in, say, August of 2016, that two years from now, Manhattanites would take to the streets because (laughs) Jeff Sessions was fired said that was crazy. Did you hear? Trump fired Jeff Sessions. Oh, no. Not Jeff Sessions. What are we going to do? To the streets. <laughs> we take to the streets. Jeff Sessions son of A little racist elf lost his job. I'm beside myself. What kind of liberal are you if you're not going to protest the fact that Jeff Sessions got fired? <laughs> Watching the returns... There was this moment early on in the night where I am sure everyone in this room who was paying attention felt it, that 2016 feeling, right? The Amy McGrath numbers started coming in, that fucking evil needle started moving towards authoritarianism. <laughs> the, the Florida numbers were not good and somebody went on television and said, just wait for Miami-Dade. And it's like, you know what? This country's gonna die waiting for Miami-Dade. Every election, they're like, don't worry, miami date is coming. miami date, Broward's coming. Palm is coming. Never fucking happens. Three days later, still not happening. And there was that moment where you're like, oh, it's happening again. It's happening again. And then slowly but surely over the course of the night, it didn't happen that way. It wasn't what we thought it was. It actually, things were pretty good. Tester eked it out. We lost in uh, Missouri, we lost in North Dakota. We thought we were down in Arizona, but it was really close. We picked up the seats we needed to win to take the house. Because 2016 was such a trauma, I don't think anybody left that night feeling very good. Like, I don't think we all, we went to bed being like, you know that feeling after you go to like a bar mitzvah or a wedding where you ate all night, but you're not full, but you're not hungry. You know that feeling? You're like, (laughs) I did something bad to myself. I ate a little often, you know? I ate a little bit of stuff too many times, and I never got full, but I'm not hungry, I'm fucked. <laughs> That's how I felt going to bed. But this was an incredible wave. We did it, we took back the house, and two years ago, two years ago, Right after Trump won and was inaugurated, there was the protests, and there were the marches, and there was the Muslim ban, and there was a sense that things really could go off the rails, but there was an energy and enthusiasm, a sense that we were going to come together and fight back. There was this open question. It was an open question. Is this real? Well, it looks like this is going to be one of the biggest turnouts in a midterm in history. It looks like... It very well may turn out that more young people voted in this election than have voted since maybe 1971 when young people got the right to vote, at least in a midterm. And taking back the House was the only way for Democrats to gain power, the only way to hold Trump accountable, and the only way to prove to him that he didn't have permission to go further to undermine the rule of law, further to be corrupt, Further to gut regulations, overturn Obamacare. This election was the test, and we fucking did it. (laughs) And I wasn't sure if we would win the House, and I was sure that losing the House really might have meant the end. And I don't mean the end like we'd fall into authoritarianism right away, but I do mean the end of a sense that your voice matters, that you can show up and make a difference, that the American democratic system works, that the majority of this country has a say. And that didn't happen. We avoided the worst possible fate and we did it the old fashioned way by knocking on doors and making phone calls and donating to candidates <laughs> and voting. So I hope everybody feels really fucking proud. Um, and that's it. That's our show. I want to thank our panel. <laughs> this is our, uh, our our election show, and it's my one chance to do Love It or Leave It before uh, the holidays. I wanted to bring an all-star panel. She is a comedian, filmmaker, and co-host of Crooked's Hysteria. Please welcome Kieran Deal. Hi, Kieran.
2: How are you, John?
0: I'm good, how are you? You're
2: good, you're doing good up here. You're back from HBO, you're doing the thing. Let's give it up for John. He's doing
0: great. I've never felt so patronized by a sincere compliment. <laughs> I hated it. His Comedy Central special recently aired along with the release of his debut album, Light Skin Feelings. Please welcome back Langston Kerman. Hey Langston. Thanks for having me.
3: It's good to have you back. Yeah, it's been a while. This is nice.
0: Nothing's changed. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) (laughs) And she is a stand-up comedian and Emmy-nominated writer whose new album, Pasta, comes out November 9th, but you can pre-order it right now. (laughs) Emily Heller. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) All right. Let's get into it. What a week. What a week. On Tuesday, Americans voted overwhelming to elect Democratic candidates. We flipped more than 30 seats in the House, uh, well over what we needed to take back that gavel. Just a moment to say, he's still the speaker. And even if he's leaving, we would have taken it anyway. So he can say he was giving it up. But we're gonna take that gavel from Paul Ryan's
3: fucking hands. From his sexy,
0: muscular hand. <laughs> From that toned, <laughs> strong hands connected to his symmetrical body and face. <laughs> Just to put in context uh, the scale of Democratic victory, in 2006, Democrats gained 31 seats in the House while President Bush was at a 37% approval rating. The Iraq war was raging, and there was far less gerrymandering. This year, Democrats had a gerrymandered map, a president with a higher approval rating, and a stronger economy, and we're still heading towards almost 40 seats uh, Republicans are clinging to the idea that it's a, quote, split decision, end quote, <laughs> uh, because they did pick up seats in what is the hardest Senate map in a hundred years. But Democrats managed to retire Dirty Dean Heller in Nevada. <laughs> right now in Florida, uh, it is actually still too close to call. Bill Nelson is within the margin for a manual recount and uh, it looks like Gillum is going to be in the 0.5% margin uh, for a recount as well. There's some shenanigans going on tonight. Uh, Rick Scott is doing some bullshit. Uh, he is ordering like investigations of what's going on in, I believe, Broward or maybe West Palm. Uh, it's, uh, it was actually unfolding right as we were coming out, but they are trying to stop the counting of votes. It seems as though there was just a big turnout, and uh, in some of the more liberal places, they are counting votes, and maybe not doing that great of a job of it, but there's no evidence of any wrongdoing. They're just counting the votes, and the votes are slowly decreasing Rick Scott's lead, slowly decreasing DeSantis' lead, and they're trying to stop those votes from being counted. So we're about to have a big fight in Florida in both of those races. On the governor front, Democrats picked up a ton of seats. America's governor, Stacey Abrams, is refusing to concede until all the ballots are counted. And, you know, one note on both Rick Scott and... Brian Camp, you know, there's going to be a debate now over can they make up this margin of a few thousand votes or 10,000 votes or whatever the margin currently is. So I, I, I'm going to get the numbers slightly off, but uh, when uh, I believe Chris was governor over four years, he reenfranchised about 140,000 people. Over the eight years Rick Scott was governor, I believe he only reenfranchised 3,000 people which means that hundreds of thousands of people who could have gotten their right to vote back if Rick Scott was willing to do his job and give people who've paid their debt to society their right to vote back who had requested it uh, instead of denying it for political purposes. We very well might not be in this position. The same can be said of Georgia. We're going to be quibbling over... We're going to be fighting over 10,000 votes, 20,000 votes. They've disenfranchised hundreds of thousands of people. They've thrown hundreds of thousands of people off the rolls, and it is never covered in that way, but these are... (laughs) successful efforts to steal elections already, regardless of what happens.
2: I voted absentee in Florida. You're welcome. Um, You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, my dad didn't vote. It's just devastating. Yeah. I shouldn't even be telling you he didn't vote.
4: Yeah. You're um, just burning this family bridge right now. I know. <laughs> I just know. I'm outing him. I'm
2: outing him. Wait,
3: why didn't he vote? What was his he reason? He was
2: overseas. But I think it's important to say that because I'm obviously like, you know, pretty political and it's wild. And I really wish I'd been more on top of it. Right now in that election, that makes a very big difference. But I,
3: like, I like the idea of your dad just being like, nah, Florida's fine. <laughs> Good state.
2: The, the, the best... Nothing to fix here. The, the best thing about it is that the Democratic Party sends mail... And it's literally like they send mail, and they're like, Mr. Deal, where were you? (laughs) Like They sent mail to our house, like, shame Where were you, Mr. Deal? My mother
4: calls Rick Scott Voldemort.
0: And she's a proud supporter. Uh, (laughs)
4: Obviously, that's where that was going. And she's a death eater. (laughs) She was on Malfoy's side the whole time. (laughs) I'm sick of
3: these politicians with noses. No noses. (laughs) We're done with
0: noses.
3: And hair. (laughs) We've been
0: electing politicians with normal nose faces. And what has it gotten us? A whole lot of gridlock.
3: A whole lot of nothing. This guy's not going to get caught up in smells. He's going to focus on the issues.
4: Listen, it's easier to keep your nose clean if you don't have one.
0: I'm sick of these politicians sticking their nose in my business. Then... On Wednesday, because Trump hated to have a loss in the news, he fired Jeff Sessions and replaced him who is with someone who is somehow worse. Uh, his replacement, Matthew Whitaker, said on CNN last year I could see a scenario where Jeff Sessions is replaced with a recess appointment, and that attorney general doesn't fire Bob Mueller, but he just reduces his budgets to so low that his investigation grinds to almost a halt. He also argued in a CNN opinion piece that Mueller's investigation was a witch hunt. Uh, This is all particularly bad because Whitaker, unlike Sessions, is not likely to recuse himself from oversight of the Mueller investigation, and there's no reason to believe Trump would have picked Whitaker if he didn't believe Whitaker would protect him. Whitaker is likely to ignore his obvious conflicts of interest and take authority over the Mueller investigation from Rod Rosenstein, who currently oversees it. So less than 12 hours after the country rebuked Trump elected a democratic house and voted for democrats across the country we are in the position we'd feared for a long time because in part the senate republicans and the congressional republicans refused to pass any measure to protect Robert Mueller, where the Mueller investigation is under threat for real. We don't know what Mueller did to protect himself. He's been pretty fucking crafty so far. But we are now really relying on what Mueller has already put in place to protect himself from this eventuality, plus the courage and integrity of other lawyers within the Justice Department, plus oversight from House Democrats, uh, once they get it, thank God, uh, to prevent the worst case scenario, which is Donald Trump abusing his authority and ending the investigation to prevent his crimes and the crimes of his associates from being reckoned with. Emily, let's start with the election. Yes. Which is much more fun. Uh, let's <laughs> just. How are you feeling?
4: I feel great. I knocked on doors for Katie Hill for for a solid for a solid forty five minutes. I feel like this is my accomplishment. <laughs>
0: Hey, guys, everybody give it up for Emily Heller, who Thank won you so much. that race for Katie Hill.
4: And I mean, I got to say, maybe the sweetest thing about that to me is that her opponent, Steve Knight, who is the incumbent, boo for real, has said publicly that he has never smoked weed. And I feel like it was so hard for me not to bring that up when I was knocking on doors. <laughs> you live in California, bro. We got the dankest nugs.
1: <laughs>
0: I definitely knocked on doors for Katie Hill. Hold your applause. And I, uh, 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 Well, I, was, I mean, I got the Instagram photos. Right. Which took a lot of time, but... Yeah. No, I, but so I, not, I was knocking on doors for Katie Hill and... Uh,
4: I went at golden hour.
0: <laughs> That's smart. That's smart. The door opened and there were like eight 19-year-olds who came to answer the door together. They were so fucking high. <laughs> and,
4: <laughs> oh my and, God, so you could have told them Steve Knight has I never didn't supposed know. I didn't know. all you had to say. I didn't have the facts. You know why? Because <laughs> Katie Hill ran a positive campaign. It's on his Wikipedia page. <laughs> it is on his Wikipedia. I mean, I put it there, but it's on...
0: <laughs> but so... They open the door and I, I you know, I got my, my, my app there and it says I'm supposed to see if Ashley and Alice, same age, I'm like, I'm thinking twins, uh, <laughs> sisters, are going to vote. And I'm like, hey, is Ashley or Alice home? And Ashley was like, Alice isn't here. I was like, do you know how you're going to vote? And she's like, oh, I think so. <laughs> so you're going to, are you supporting Katie Hill? And she's like, Yeah. Katie I was like, what are some issues you care about? She's like, oh, man. <laughs> it's like, well, Katie Hill really cares about health She's probably like, rambled off all the answers. He's like, oh, I'll vote for her for sure. Yeah, that's who I'm voting for. I'm voting for Katie Hill. And I was like, you know that you can early vote today. And then one of the other stone guys, and I was like, and it's at this library, which is, like, right by your house. And so you can do it actually right now. Get it over with. And one of the other guys was like, oh, we could do it when we get your car. <laughs> So, uh, Emily Heller. Uh,
4: that's really great. Looks like
0: there's some competition for who won that district.
4: In the... in the, Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you were talking to more stone people than I was by about two stone people.
2: <laughs> and as an immigrant, it's like, that's the kind of story that makes me proud to be an American. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow.
0: Kieran, uh... Did anything surprise you Tuesday night? What happened that you didn't expect watching the returns on Tuesday, watching what's happened since?
2: The number of women who uh, got into office was really tremendous. Like, so many women got elected. Really super dope. Um, I was really curious. In 1992, after Anita Hill, uh, there was the so-called year of the woman, you know, where four senators got elected. The, The number before that was two. Amazing, right? What numbers? What statistics? The year of uh, the women Four, four bitches. <laughs> we doubled it. Yeah. Um good stuff. Good stuff, Congress. Um but this year obviously it's gone up exponentially, but it's not lost on me that like there can be these trends for a moment in time where you see a spike and it's like, hey, we fixed it. You know, especially with, like, representation of women. And it's like, I've read articles where it's like, oh, women are the future of the Democratic Party, etc." I'm particularly interested in this issue because I have a vagina. Um, yeah. So it's relevant to me. And the cashier at my grocery store who's like, so we were, like, cavelling yesterday, which is... Again, I'm an immigrant, so I use terms from all the people. Um, And she was, you know, we're saying it's like, representation is so incredibly important. Like, you know, she was literally saying it's like, now young girls or my kid can look at the Senate and she can see somebody who looks like her. She can see somebody who's Muslim. She can see somebody who's, you know, like, for the first time. That means a lot. People are going to be able to look and they're, you know, if you come as an immigrant to this country, oh, I can do it. It's very powerful and very important. I want to know infrastructurally what you think in terms of the longevity of that trend as opposed to it being a flash in the pan.
0: So obviously, Trump winning woke up a lot of anger among women and men, but caused a lot of women to run, caused a lot of women to fight back. Is this the kind of thing where a galvanizing event caused a permanent change? Because There's an open question, and it's actually an important question, because we're going to have to answer it in 2020, or at least address it in 2020, which is, obviously, sexism played a big role uh, in what happened in 2016, but so did the unique flaws that Hillary Clinton brought to the table. Many of those flaws, and many of those traits that people claimed were the reason they didn't like her, born from decades of sexism directed against her. I I, want to be clear about that, but one thing that I think is important to note is not only did we recover in a lot of places where we saw a shift from Obama to Trump, but we did it in a year in which women were winning votes everywhere in a really huge shift. I mean, we were going to see 117 women. I mean, that is transformative. That is a permanent change. Because Hillary Clinton was first. She wasn't a woman. She was the woman. And you can't disconnect who she was as a person from the sexism she faced and the way people treat women. But what's exciting about all these women attaining office, I mean, my frame of reference is is for gay people. That that even, you know, when you see more gay people being represented, they no longer have to represent you, right? That gay person isn't speaking for all gay people. There's a lot of different ways to be gay. And now we're going to have a gay governor of Colorado. We've seen a bunch of... Katie Hill is an openly bisexual woman. We have gay candidates uh, uh, winning all across the country. And so you're not the gay candidate, you're not the gay representative, you're a gay representative. And I think that's really important and that's something the next woman to run for president and become the Democratic nominee or Republican nominee uh, (laughs) won't have to face. They won't have to be the woman, they can just be a woman.
4: I also think there were so many people in 2016 who were like, whoa, 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 I would vote for a woman. I wouldn't vote for that woman. And I think that we are gonna have an opportunity at some point to make those people put their money where their mouth is. You know what I mean? And I think maybe, maybe living with the Trump administration is gonna make some of those people come around on that.
2: There's enough of any group in, in office or in a position of power when you can look around and see enough gay representatives that you're like, I don't like that guy. Or I look around and I see those Indians and I can be like, I don't like that guy. I don't like you, Bobby Chindle. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like... Like, (laughs) But ten years ago, I wouldn't have said that in public. I'd be like, let Bobby do his thing. He's doing his best. (laughs) We just need more brown faces on television. Do you know what I
3: mean? He's trying. I I used to love Alan Keyes. Yeah, yeah, that's a great
0: example. Till Obama. Till Obama, you're
4: like, (laughs) Alan Keyes, that's me. He's my guy.
0: (laughs) Can I just say
4: a quick thing about Bobby Jindal? Please. I was on a flight with him. Um, he flew Delta Comfort Plus. Not you know, first
0: class, Comfort Plus. You know what? I respect the hell out of that because, and this is where we're going to have to leave it because we've got to move on, but I have a philosophy <laughs> and it says entry-level luxury is your price point, all right? That hundred bucks is the best money in the sky. That's pretty good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? People get it, yeah. all right? You know, I don't want to go to Olive Garden. I want to go to Cheesecake Factory. Entry-level luxury. (laughs) One step up. Just go one step up. That's the sweet spot.
4: It didn't get him out of sitting next to someone with a giant neck tattoo, which I... I Which was was, was yours. (laughs) (laughs) We had a nice long chat.
0: (laughs) When we come back... Okay, stop! Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. Now it's time for a game called OK Stop. We'll roll a clip and the panel... <laughs> I forgot about the ding. It's been a while. And the-, <laughs> and the panel can say OK Stop at any point to comment. On Wednesday morning, Trump held a press conference on the election results. By now, you've seen Trump's meltdown over Jim Acosta's questions and the ensuing doctored video of the exchange from Sarah Sanders. And then, of course, the Acosta ban. Uh, but that's not all <laughs> Trump had to say in the press conference. Let's take a look.
1: On the other hand, you had some that... Decided to let's stay away. Let's stay away. They did very poorly I'm not sure that I should be happy or sad me a love gave me no love.
4: Okay, stop are his suits getting bigger (laughs) He saw that Kanye video
0: (laughs) His new best friend I do think that When he thought of Mia Love Gave Me No Love, there was no stopping him from saying it in this press conference. He is so pumped. Mia Love Gave Me No Love.
3: I think Trump loves puns, and I think he doesn't know what puns are. (laughs) And and whatever whatever the fuck feels kind of close, My boy goes for it. I respect that. I do too.
4: (laughs) Trump is like one of those people who in their online dating profiles is like, I'm really sarcastic. And it's like, you.
3: (laughs) He doesn't need a dating profile.
2: He grabs them by the pussy. (laughs)
3: Huge news point. I like that some of your audience is still shocked. (laughs) (laughs) What? Let's grabbing him. And she lost. Michael Cohen recently said you called black voters stupid. That's false. Omarosa has <laughs> accused you of using the N-word. Okay, and the rap Rapples- I believe him this time. <laughs> That was, that was convincing. You it, know was, what I mean? it was,
2: he didn't. He was very emphatic. Yeah. that t- And I, it was I knee jerk. Mean, yeah. It was knee jerk. He was like, nope, don't do that. No, I'm not racist. Not racist.
3: That. Rapper Little John has said you called him Uncle
1: Tom. What's your response? I, I don't that? know who Little John is. He <laughs> was on The
2: Apprentice. Okay, know. stop.
4: Oh,
2: <laughs> who doesn't know who Little John is?
0: There are photos of them <laughs> together.
2: <laughs> yes. Well, and also, he's a delightful man. Man who makes lovely music. Mm. Do you think he
0: meant it like when Mariah Carey said, "I don't know her"? Yeah. Yeah. I think he meant like, oh, I know, I know
3: him as John.
4: <laughs> I thought,
3: That's just regular or he's John like, to me.
4: I don't know anyone named Little John. I know a guy named Uncle Tom. <laughs> Is that, are we talking about the same guy? He says yeah a lot, he's a like, yeah guy.
1: Oh, I see. Have you ever made racist know. remarks? No. no, I would never do that and I don't use racist and remarks. On the campaign trail, you called yourself a nationalist. Some people saw that as emboldening white nationalists. Now people are also saying- I don't saying know why you that, pres- that. Let me take. that's a racist question.
0: Okay, stop. <laughs> Guys, fold it up, we're done. He's cracked it.
4: He cracked the code.
0: He's turned it around. We're through here he's won uh, Mr. President I'm I love ask. you
1: know what the word is I love our country I do You call, okay you stop
2: have... that is not a word yeah.
4: <laughs> here's the thing though if you want it to be a fun Mad Libs sometimes you have to bend the rules a little bit <laughs> whose side are you on Heller
1: nationalists you have globalists I also love the world
3: You've got a lot of White House staff. Some have been talking about leaving. General Kelly has been uh, rumored to be leaving. people
1: leave. I mean, we have many people lined up for every single position. Any position. Everybody wants to work in this White House. We are... Okay, stop.
0: He's turning people away. That's how you end up with, uh, I don't know, Anthony Scaramucci. (laughs) The guy that throws reporters on the ground. (laughs) Rudy Giuliani, who wandered in from a Fox yeah. News cream room and nobody had the heart to tell him. This is a
1: hot White House.
0: <laughs> I, maybe he means hot in the sense that it's, like, stolen. Yeah. <laughs> stolen. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay, stop. Yeah. When we come back, we're going to play a game. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. And we're back! (laughs) (laughs) You guys have cards beneath your chairs. Oh. After the overwhelming Democratic victories on Tuesday, pundits across the country cleared their throats loudly and started talking nonsense. Despite the fact that almost every expert had said Democrats winning the Senate was nearly impossible this year because we had the worst map in a century, pundits still seem to be insistent that this was a split decision and that Democrats should feel defeated that their wave wasn't comparable to the waves in 1994 and 2010. But we thought we'd explore this idea a little further in a game we're calling Split Decision Fit for Derision. (laughs) Would anyone out there like to play the game? Hi, what's your name? Hassani. How you doing? Good. Where are you from? Uh, Here, Long Beach. Long Beach? Who's who's uh, who'd you vote for in the House race?
3: I was studying for my citizenship test.
0: Oh, you're studying for your citizenship test. (laughs) I see. Caravan, caravan, caravan. Langston. He's
2: already here.
0: Keep it together, Tucker. All right. (laughs) You ready to play the game? I'm ready. All right. While Democrats claim power in a chamber of Congress, a lot of people uh, didn't think it was that big of a deal. Like Laura Ingram on Fox News who said, All things considered, it was a very, very good night for Republicans and a major win for Donald Trump. And what the Democrats did achieve in these midterms was a well below pickup of seats in the House against the party in power. What is actually true about Tuesday's election results? Is it A?
2: Democrats haven't gained this many seats in the House since 1974 after Watergate. Democrats actually won the popular vote by more than nine points, whereas during the Republican waves in 1994 and 2010, they only had margins of about seven points. And over the last 70 years, there have been 18 midterm elections, and only five have been worse for the president's party. This is all true despite the effect of gerrymandering.
0: Or is it B?
3: Democrats took back power by nominating candidates who really spoke to local voters. Like in Michigan, where they elected a talking Chevy Tahoe (laughs) with the voice of Eminem. Or in Indiana, where the governor is now a minion meme saying the N-word. Or in New Jersey, where voters practically stampeded to the polls to vote for the Beto O'Rourke of the East Coast, Bob Menendez.
0: (laughs) Or is it C?
4: Each race was actually selected by Paul the Octopus, that genius cephalopod in a tiny tank that predicted the World Cup a few years ago, and then tried to warn us about Trump by tapping the glass in Morse code, but everyone thought it was just some weird octopus joke. (laughs)
0: What do you think, Asani? I think A. You got it. Yeah. Can you give us an example of a citizenship test question Cause, and see if this room could pass? <laughs> the first question was what group of people
3: was brought over as slaves? Wow. Is it multiple? It's the Irish.
0: <laughs> question two. <laughs> There's a game within a game. (laughs) Question two. Besides Stacey Abrams and Andrew Gillum, the most exciting race of the night was the Senate race between Ted, the human being Cruz, and future president, (laughs) and woke bassist, Beto O'Rourke. After Beto... (laughs) Oh, you like Beto. Didn't know that. (laughs) After Beto lost, the Washington Times' Charles Hurt wrote the following. Blue wave? These damn meteorologists keep getting it wrong. Skateboarding socialist Robert Francis O'Rourke did not make history in Texas Tuesday night. While Beto may have come up short, how did he help Texas Democrats across the state? Is it A?
2: To be more comfortable with their sweaty bodies. (laughs) When the world saw Beto sweat profusely through his rolled up dress shirt, Texans everywhere realized, as long as you are confident in your beliefs, it doesn't matter that everyone could see you pit the hell out. Thank you, Beto. You inspire while you perspire.
0: <laughs> or, is <it laughs> or is it B?
3: Across the state of Texas, Democrats now have a comfortable and oversized Beto for Texas T-shirt that they can wear while they finish up a chapter, of, chapter or two of Where'd You Go, Bernadette, before bedtime. Is it 100% cotton? You better believe it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or is it C?
4: The enthusiasm around Beto's campaign created a massive turnout, which in the House led to Colin Allred beating the awful Pete Sessions and Lizzie Pano flipping the seat of Republican John Culberson. (laughs) On top of that, Democrats gained 12 seats in the Texas House, two seats in the Texas Senate, flipped four appeals courts, including in Dallas, where a Democratic judge hadn't been elected since 1992, but this year elected eight, meaning the new Chief Justice is now a Democrat. Plus... (laughs) Plus, around Houston, all 19 black women who ran for various judicial seats won, mar- marking the biggest victory for black women in county history.
0: What do you think, Asani? C. You got it. Yeah. Question three. A lot of focus was on state elections and how much ground Democrats need to make up. David Daly at Fox said about state level races that Democrats have won themselves back a few small seats at the table, but they're still at the kids' table. What is true about how Democrats fared in governor's races across the country? Is it A?
2: Democrats did so well in gubernational elections that the GOP immediately set up a committee to look into changing state borders to make them more favorable to Republican candidates.
0: (laughs) Or is it B?
3: (laughs) Republicans held 70% of the governorship in 2016. Democrats gained eight on Tuesday, the most gained by either party since 1994. These new governorships will allow states like Wisconsin and Kansas to reject gerrymandering redistricting maps Republicans will draw up after the 2020 census. And they will also be able to resist other voter suppression tactics like ID laws. Or... (laughs) Or
0: is it C?
4: It was a massive success because Andy's back! Andrew, the Bromo Cuomo, is back <laughs> for another term, and New York couldn't be happier. As we say in New York, I'm walking here. And they couldn't prove he was as corrupt as all the people around him, so we're good. Let's get a bagel and wait for God to fix the subways.
0: <laughs> what do you think, Asani? I'm thinking B. You got it. (laughs) Final question. While many on the left were disappointed with the results because we failed to flip the Senate and some of our most exciting candidates couldn't make it over the top, which of the following is true about how Democrats fared on Tuesday? Is it A?
2: Amendment 4 passed in Florida restoring voting rights to about 1.4 million people. (laughs) With felony convictions, Trump only won that state by about a hundred thousand votes, and Andrew Gillum only lost by around forty thousand votes. And narrowing. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's my Dad who did that.
3: Or is it B? Across all state legis legislatures, why can't I do that? <laughs> Democrats gained about 350 seats and flipped six state legislatures. Where they don't flip, they were still often able to make up good ground. In the New York state Senate, Democrats were able to take control from a GOP-run coalition, and in North Carolina, the Republicans no
0: longer have a supermajority so they can no longer veto the Democratic governor. And we should... We overcame... We lost about 1,000 seats over the Obama years. We made up more than a third of that in one election. Uh, <laughs> Or is it C?
4: Democrats took control of the North Carolina Supreme Court, which will help them combat voter suppression. Or is it D? Over
2: 100 women were elected to the House. It's the largest number of women elected to Congress at
3: one time. Is it E? Massachusetts elected Ayanna Presley, the state's first
0: black congressman. Is it F?
4: Alexandria Ocasio Cortez became the youngest woman elected to Congress. Is it G? We also have our first Muslim
2: women elected to Congress, Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, both from Minnesota. Is it
3: H? We elected our first Native American woman, Sharice Davids of Kansas
4: and Deb Haaland of New Mexico to the House of Representatives. Or is it I? In Colorado, Jared Polis became the first openly gay person to be elected governor.
0: Or is it Jay? We now control a chamber of Congress, meaning we can subpoena John Jr. or make him answer Adam Schiff's questions under fucking oath. What do you think, Asani? Uh, I was waiting for one on Dana Rohrbacher, but I'll go with all of the above. You got it. And Asani, not only have you won the game, you passed my citizenship test. You got it. When we come back, we're going to mark some of the people we're saying goodbye to. Hmm. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. And we're back! This week has been overwhelming. And while we want to make sure we celebrate our victories on Tuesday, we also need to make time to reflect and celebrate the defeat of those we truly cannot stand. So I thought we'd take some time to mourn the lost careers of some of the worst people in modern politics in a segment we're calling Resist in Peace. Tonight, we mark the downfall of Scott Walker, who in a field of of 1,000 Republican presidential candidates came in dead last. Like fine Wisconsin cheddar, you've aged, but also like fine Wisconsin cheddar, you melted under the slightest bit of heat. (laughs) We'll miss the way you went after the real bad guys, underpaid public school teachers. You won't be missed. Goodbye, Scott Walker.
2: Now let us bid a not fond farewell to dirty Dean Heller The only Republican senator to lose his seat on Tuesday You were against abortion rights and voted no on the Paycheck Fairness Act So it's only fair your career was destroyed by a woman You will be remembered as a hero of the Republican Party Who said he wouldn't vote to repeal Obamacare And then like two days later he voted to repeal
3: Obamacare You won't be missed Farewell Dean Let us light a candle for Chris Kobosh of Kansas, who really put the KK in K. (laughs) You worked tirelessly to keep people of color from voting, and then people of color worked tirelessly to keep you from being governor of Kansas. In 2002, you helped author The Patriot and then in 2018, a bunch of patriots acted to keep
4: your ass out of the government. (laughs) You won't be missed. Adios. <laughs> das to the career of Dana Rohrbacher. <laughs> who, who can forget when Sasha Baron Cohen duped you into endorsing giving guns to kids? And who can forget when Kevin McCarthy said he thought you were an undercover agent for Putin? <laughs> But I'll tell you who will forget your career. My wife. (laughs) Good riddance, Dana. Hopefully Putin will now give you the money and or recordings he's been promising you.
0: And we can't forget to say goodbye to Jeff Sessions. Like the Japanese soldier Hiro Onoda, who refused to surrender to the Allies for three decades after World War II ended, you have never given up on the Confederacy. (laughs) And it's never given up on you. As Attorney General, you tried to deport dreamers, you discriminated against trans people, undermined reproductive rights, abandoned protections for domestic violence against women, and you even lied to the Senate about the Trump campaign's contacts with Russia. And yet you let Trump bully you into resigning, even though it threatens the rule of law. I will mourn your career by eating an edible, watching Call Me By Your Name, and rooting for the North in Gone With The Fucking Wind.
3: Wait, wait, can I say... Uh, look, I get it, you guys are all happy. I'm I'm a little happy for Jeff Sessions. I'll be honest, because he finally gets to say the N-word again, and that's exciting. <laughs> that's exciting, imagine two years of not getting to say the N-word, and you really wanted to say it. And then he finally gets to, this is nice, good for
4: Jeff. I, I'm, Just, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he said it in the last <laughs> two years. Yeah, but not how he wanted to say it.
3: (laughs) He wanted to say it louder. (laughs) Good for him.
0: When we come back, (laughs) the Rail Wheel.
1: Don't go
2: anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way.
0: Now it's time for the rant wheel. You know how it works. We spin the wheel wherever it lands. We rant about the topic. This week on the wheel, we have protesting at Tucker Carlson's house. We have Amazon's competition for its headquarters. We have the undemocratic Senate. We have Trump evoking Game of Thrones. We have Trump saying how you can't call a woman beautiful anymore. We have the bride of a ghost. We have ayahuasca. And we have a 69-year-old man who claims that he feels 49 (laughs) legally. Let's spin the wheel. It has landed on protesting outside Tucker Carlson's house. I am not one of those people that says, how dare you suggest Sarah Huckabee Sanders can eat cheese wherever she wants. And I'm not one of those people that says it's wrong, where if you happen to be at a restaurant and you see Mitch McConnell, you go up to Mitch McConnell and you ask him a question and you express yourself because you have a right to do that. And honestly, in a system that has disenfranchised so many people, in a system that has been so anti-democratic, in a system in which the majority, the Republican majority, is so dismissive and vicious and vindictive towards the majority of Americans, there is nothing wrong with expressing yourself There is nothing wrong with being angry. There is nothing wrong with expressing that. And I do not believe what Tucker Carlson does every night is harmless because it's just words. He is an incredibly destructive force in American politics. What he does is he has fully embraced white nationalism. You can watch, and it's so cynical too, you can watch Tucker Carlson's path from conservative, serious writer, to CNN pundit, to Daily Caller troll, to now Fox News fascist, and you can plot what has happened inside of Republican politics, because Tucker Carlson is out for Tucker Carlson. He is an opportunist, and he doesn't care that what he does exacerbates hostility towards marginalized people. He doesn't care that somebody is taking the endless, repetitive propaganda of Fox News and its satellites and using it to justify in their twisted mind sending bombs to people or shooting at at, at Jewish people in a fucking synagogue. He doesn't care. He has figured out a way to convince himself he's not responsible. He has figured out a way to convince himself that his words don't do harm even though they do a tremendous amount of harm and they do put people in danger every single day. So I'm not saying that Tucker Carlson doesn't deserve to be hectored, doesn't deserve incredible amounts of criticism. But when you go to someone's house, you immediately turn not only Tucker Carlson into someone who people are sympathetic towards, you turn the moderate people against you and you make it a conversation about Tucker Carlson's safety and Tucker Carlson's family instead of a conversation about the damage Tucker Carlson does every night. I'm not saying Tucker Carlson doesn't deserve all the shit that's coming at him. And I'm actually honestly not saying that Tucker Carlson doesn't deserve some of the fear he's causing in, in, in the lives of voiceless people, okay? Because he does. What I'm saying is that it's just fucking stupid for two reasons. One, it makes Tucker Carlson sympathetic to a lot of people, right or wrong. And two, and this is the important part that I often think is lost. When you start escalating with fascists, they're going to fucking get more violent than you are, okay? I am glad that there are leftists out there willing to go on the streets and say to Proud Boys and other fucking racists and white nationalists that you can't march and intimidate and threaten communities with impunity, that there will be other people on the street to meet you. All right? There's been a lot of really good writing about what that has meant and how it's actually stopped some of the more dangerous white nationalist protests and reduced some of its impact. Uh, I'm not the civility police here. I do not like seeing people on Twitter saying, oh, well, yeah, of course it's wrong to go to his house, but Tark It's wrong to go to his house. It's not gonna help us fucking win. And we have to keep our eyes on what's gonna actually help us win. Protest, march, yell at Mitch McConnell in a restaurant, okay, but the second you have people calling 911 because the family is terrified, you're not fucking winning, you're just not. That's it. Oh
3: yeah. It has landed
0: (laughs) on a a 69-year-old man who feels 49 at heart. Langston, you suggested this. It's daddy's turn. (laughs)
3: I call myself daddy now, for anybody
2: Childless, who right? hasn't
3: heard my other episodes. Childless? <laughs> Childless, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, so a, a 69-year-old man decided that he wanted to be 49 legally because he feels like it's the same as like being a woman on the inside kind of thing, or whatever, trans rights and shit. And no! <laughs> That's not the same, and also, I feel more than anything, I feel like this is evidence that we let white people go too far. We, we gave y'all too much rope, do you know what I mean? And I don't mean like enslaved, nobody wants a white slave, but like, we just let y'all be too free for too long. We gave y'all like braided belts and open-faced sandwiches. And now you don't know how to be people anymore. You don't know how to act like decent fucking human beings. This man is claiming he's 49, which isn't a good age. It's not even like he picked a sexy fucking age. He wasn't like, I'm 25, I'm gonna go bone some college chicks. He's 49. None of us wanna be 49. No, it's okay if you are, but none of us want that. It's not what we asked for. I'm sure you're killing it at 49. But I can touch my toes. <laughs> <laughs> Suck it. No, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> Burning the bridge. Never coming
0: back. I did what I could. <laughs> I hope you come back. I like it. You pick fights. It's cool. Let's spin it again. It has landed on Ghost Bride, suggested by Emily Heller.
4: Hell yeah. So, this woman is going to marry a ghost. (laughs) They got engaged. Someone asked her, like, did he get down on one knee? And she was like, well, he doesn't have knees. But she claims to have had sex with him, and it's like, so he has a dick, but he doesn't have knees. How does this work? But, like, a venue has offered to host the wedding for free. Uh, she said, like, I'm excited about getting pregnant with a ghost baby. I've been doing some research about it. Which I'm like... It's just like jerking off to pictures of Casper the Friendly Ghost. Like, what? what's research about conceiving a ghost baby? But what I love about this is people are like, oh my God, isn't this so ridiculous? Like, she must want attention. And you're like, what about this is more ridiculous than a normal wedding? <laughs> She's doing what all of you guys are doing. She wants attention, and that's fine. It's fine to want attention, and apparently you don't have to wait for a fucking man to show up. You can just say he's there. This is what happens. (laughs) This is what happens when people put relentless amounts of pressure on women to get married and have babies. We're accommodating. We will do it even if it seems impossible. And I'm really just mad I didn't think of this first.
0: <laughs> hey, Emily. Yes. Where does a ghost baby go after it's born? Oh, uh, where? The that? neonatal boonet.
1: <laughs> oh, God.
4: <laughs> Let's spin it again. <laughs> that was so bad.
0: Yeah, boo, that's the joke, you get it. I don't hear, I get, you get the joke. You're enjoying the joke and participating in it. That's what I'm hearing with the booing. Oh, I'm excited. It has landed on ayahuasca, which was suggested by Kieran. I have done
2: ayahuasca, uh, thank you, uh, because I am cooler than I look um, by a lot. People go into this like kind of like for a spiritual or like a revelatory experience, and so I kind of wanted to, you know, this is a platform. I wanted to use it to share what I learned on my journey, uh, which began with an application here in Los Angeles, and then uh, there's, you know, if you don't know anything about it, it's a, you know, a spiritual drug that's named after a woman, a woman, you know, because it's like the goddess drug because. Women generally don't have real power. Um, And so that's what it's named after. Uh, But anyway, you write an essay, you pay this money, you do a diet for like two weeks where you have to cleanse and do all this shit. You take a plane ride to Mexico, you land, you take a bus, you get on a boat, three hours on the boat, then you walk for like another four miles to the place where you're going to do it. You sit in a trauma circle... Real fun. Uh, Talking about all kinds of bullshit that's wrong with people. And then finally, when you lie under the stars and you're given this drug, it's like you're there and you're about to have, you know, some revelations about opening up the universe. And what happens in the first 30 minutes of this experience? A white woman starts screaming. And that's what I learned doing ayahuasca, is uh, that there's always gonna be a white woman screaming. Uh, It doesn't matter where you go, or who you are, or what's going on, there will always be a white woman screaming, and what your decision is, is it gonna ruin my good time? Or am I gonna have a nice time anyway? Do you know what I mean? And it's like and and I know that there are a lot of white women in this audience. I'm not talking about a white woman. I'm talking about that white woman. Like that very specific white woman, the one at like the barbecue who's calling people or the one who's like Taking the water from the children. It's like just screaming, like no consideration for anyone else. But I still had a nice time and I take that with me.
0: Ayahuasca with Permit (laughs) Patty? That's correct.
2: That's correct. She was also there. That's correct. Because she's everywhere. That's uh. the point. But it's like you get to choose who you want to be in a circumstance. And I chose to be high on drugs, you know, (laughs) regardless of who was screaming. Uh, And running into the jungle.
3: 49 years old. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Let's spin it one more time. (laughs) It has landed on the undemocratic Senate. And this is where we will leave it. Because there's been uh, I think over the last like 2 years a lot of lamentations about like what's gone wrong for liberals and we've talked about gerrymandering, good topic, solvable problem. We've talked about voter suppression and ID laws, good topic, solvable problem. But there's also been this this sort of like fatalism about, well, that's the Senate it's never going to ever be fair because we are going to be in the cities in California and New York, and we're just going to lose these rural states, and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse, and the Democrats will never get a majority and will certainly not get a supermajority ever again. The Senate's the problem. The Senate has been undemocratic from the beginning, and the thing is, you don't have to like it, but it's not going anywhere. And I find it really frustrating for people to be complaining about the Senate because it it assumes that the problem we have is the Senate and that that is somehow more solvable than the fact that we have lost in rural places and smaller states where they are now very red and they send uh, Republicans to the Senate again and again and again. uh, You know, that, oh, how are we going to compete in Idaho? How are we going to compete in Nebraska? How are we going to compete in Missouri now that Missouri is changing? Well, on Tuesday... Idaho voted to expand Medicaid. Utah voted to expand Medicaid. Nebraska voted to expand Medicaid. Uh, Florida, even as it was uh, putting us into this incredibly close uh, Senate race and governor's race, voted by more than 60%, which was the threshold to expand voting rights uh, to disenfranchise people who had been convicted of fr- crimes. Arkansas and Missouri voted to raise the minimum wage. Missouri previously voted uh, for a pro-union uh, ballot measure. Uh, we've seen teacher protests across the country in conservative states, in places that have felt the pain of austere state government that has cut taxes in the hopes of drawing business while meanwhile only resulting in depleted services, depleted infrastructure, teachers who aren't getting paid, schools they can't heat. Things change slowly and then they change very fast. And one thing that I took away from Tuesday is there's a much more important question to ask uh, than what do we do about the undemocratic Senate. The question is, how do we get democratic politicians to be as popular as democratic policies. That is a reason for hope. This sense that, oh, it's now identity and we're polarized as if it's some kind of permanent condition. Things change. Things change very, very quickly. One of the lessons of Donald Trump becoming president is it should give us permission to be imaginative, to imagine things happening that we didn't think would happen.
2: Yes, like Donald Trump being president. Absolutely,
0: (laughs) like Donald Trump being president. Better or work? Andrew Gillum, Stacey Abrams. Uh, these are people appealing in states that are hard for us to win. Beto got within three points of Ted Fucking Cruz. All right, which is incredibly close—a Herculean effort. Stacey Abrams is within a point of Brian Kemp in Georgia. In Georgia, a state that we considered a red state in the solid Republican South. This is a black woman putting on a campaign in Georgia. She would, she could still be the first. A black woman to be the governor of a state in in the country? Is that right? Things can change. This idea that, oh, these small rural states are permanently Republican and will never win those rural voters back, it is fatalistic and it is self-defeating and we should cast it out and not think that way. We should compete everywhere. We need to win Senate seats everywhere. We need to win everywhere and we can do it. That's all I wanted to say. (laughs) thank you guys so much for everything you did over the last two years for this election thank you for knocking on doors thank you for donating thank you for participating let's all take a break and then let's do it again all right thanks guys and thank you to kieran deal langston kerman and emily heller thank our panel thank you to the improv i will see you in a couple weeks